Our scripture this morning will be from uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. We'll read together verses 18 through 30. Romans uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 30. The Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Someone once noted that uh, we live between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. What the disciples experienced in small scale, three days in grief over one man who died on a cross, we now live on a cosmic level. We live in that in-between time, believing that God can make something holy and beautiful and good out of a world that includes pandemic viruses and unjust deaths. Of course, this cosmic drama, this living in between, relies entirely on the God who raised Jesus from the dead. An old woman lies buried under 150-year-old oak trees in the cemetery of an Episcopal church in rural Louisiana. And only one word is carved on her tombstone. Waiting. We live in hope. We hope for a return of all that God intended when He created the world. It's not a dream, it's a promise. It's God's promise. A strong hope of new creation leads Paul to declare, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that one day the glory of God will be unveiled for us. Now, I mentioned last week that when talking about the glory of God, it has to do with God's weightiness. Glory has to do with God's authority. Part of God's glory is God's sovereign rule over the whole world. And Paul is declaring 
that we will share that glory. That is, we're to be the rulers of creation as God intended us to be. That's our hope. Notice what Paul goes on to say. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. One translator says, the creation is standing on tiptoe. The creation eagerly awaits because there is present suffering. We all know this. Our world is in the grip of a viral pandemic. Wall Street's on a roller coaster that makes some people sick to their stomach. Unemployment rates have rocketed, getting even worse with airline furloughs. And we experience the everyday tragedies of life in a broken world. Wildfires continue to consume the West. Hurricanes assault the Gulf Coast. Cancers lay claim to our bodies. Paul is so right. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. God is the one who has allowed creation to be subject to rounds of summer and winter, growth and decay, birth and death. Yes, the creation is beautiful, but it seems in the end there are always tears. Except that's not the last word. Chaos is not the last word. Despair is not the last word. Rather, the resurrection of Jesus breathes hope into our lives. The resurrection of Jesus breathes life into our spirits. Jesus' resurrection moves us beyond the uncertainty that's all around us. In the middle of our hard times, when we feel anxious, when pressure is mounting, when regrets pile up, we often ask ourselves, what am I really counting on? What is the foundation of my life? And as someone once noted, for 2,000 years, people have not gathered to say, the stock market has risen. It's risen indeed. Nobody goes around declaring the, un- the, the employment rate has risen. It's risen indeed. People have not joined together in worship to unite their voices in saying, the value of my 401k has risen. There is only one hope that sustained people across the millennia. Jesus Christ is risen. His resurrection offers the promise of hope for new life, despite the present sufferings of poverty, disease, pain, hardship, even death itself. In His resurrection life, no one will labor in vain. No child will be born into misfortune. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. No more George Floyd-like deaths. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. The whole world stands on tiptoe in expectation. That's not some pipe dream. It's God's promise. It's our hope that's founded on the work of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead with the promise that one day we will be raised. We will be raised into that new creation. God, who made heaven and earth, will put all things right at last. Our hope is that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay, says Paul, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. But here's the deal. 
The God project of new creation has already begun. It started all the way back when God called Abraham with the promise that he would make him into a great nation. But as one person notes, that call and the next 2,000 years were all preparation. The God project really began in a truer sense with Jesus. Through Jesus, God overpowers the power of darkness. Through Jesus, God uh, destroyed the powers that spoiled His beautiful world. Through Jesus, God restored human beings who were meant to be the crown of God's creation. Jesus is the one who by His life and resurrection welcomes us to become new life agents of God. Jesus worked for for God's kingdom through his life, and his work came to a climax on the cross. The cross opened a door for God's creation, including human beings, to be set free from slavery to decay. Corruption and death are overcome, starting with Jesus' own physical body being raised. He was raised from the dead, and we will be too. That's God's promise. It's our hope. The whole creation is on tiptoe in expectation for what will be. It's a hope that's the foundation of our lives. And the promise of life in Christ is what moves us to action. We join the present creation in groaning for what will be. Our prayers from the heart take up the groans of a creation that's out of whack with what God intended. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We have to understand our unique role in God's plans for the world if we're to understand why we groan with creation. I mean, too often, we pitch the story of the gospel like this. We sinned. Jesus came to die for our sins. And when we believe, we're assured that one day our soul will be saved to go and live in heaven with Jesus. Unfortunately, though parts of that story are true, it doesn't get at the comprehensive picture of what God's up to. What Paul wants us to realize is that we are presently ruling with Christ. It's a non-negotiable part of the story. The Christian community doesn't look away from this troubled world to some blissful future. No, we are summoned to live on behalf of this suffering world. That's why we groan. I mean, let's start at the the very beginning. God's story begins in Genesis 1. God created earth, sea, sky. God placed living creatures in a hospitable environment, plants, animals, all kinds of living organisms. And God made humans, male and female, to rule in God's creation. We see this idea on full display in Psalm 8. We're told that God made humans a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. God made them rulers over the works of His hands. God put 
everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. See, as I noted earlier, the phrase that we are crowned with glory and honor points to our authority. Not an authority to do as we wish. No, humans are made to rule in God's creation. And as one person notes, we rule with gentle stewardship to enable the creation to be fruitful, to flourish every part of it. We're not to squash or trample or exploit the creation for our purposes. And we look at the stories of Jesus that are told in the Gospels. We see this powerfully fulfilled. When Jesus does mighty works, he is revealing his true humanity as much as he reveals his divine nature. Jesus' life shows us that what we call heaven, God's space, and what we call earth, our space, are designed to work together. In Jesus, heaven and earth overlap and interlock. In Jesus, we see God bringing into reality the petition that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. See, we were created for the specific purpose of standing between heaven and earth. And we're to call forth all of creation's goodness to the honor of God and to exercise responsible authority on God's behalf. The contemporary testimony, Our World Belongs to God, makes this so clear. It says, Made in God's image to live in loving communion with our Maker, We're appointed earth keepers and caretakers to tend the earth, enjoy it, and love our neighbors. God uses our skills for the unfolding and well-being of his world so that creation and all who live in it may flourish. Jesus rescues us from the grip of sin and death so that we will live this new creation that's brought about by Jesus' resurrection. God has rescued us to live His original creation intent right here, right now. God's creation intent was frustrated by human sin. And that's why creation groans. Because creation groans for the day when we will realize who God made us to be in creation and in Christ. Creation groans for us to take up our place as rightful authorities. Creation groans for us to take up the mantle of bringing God's age to come, what we call heaven, to this present age, what we call earth. You see, we have this new life in Christ. But as we look around us, we see it doesn't mean all is well. In other places, Paul says it like this. He's clear that what we live in is what he calls a present evil age. 
So our prayers from the heart take up those groans of the creation in this present evil age. We suffer with the whole creation for the failures of humanity, which is why we confess our complicity in the sin and brokenness of the world. That's why we often pray, Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We've not loved You with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ. But beyond confession, we lament. We groan. I mean, lament is common in the Psalms. Lament is a way for the believing body of Christ to express our grief and our frustration at the brokenness of the world. We especially lament in those circumstances when we're not directly culpable or worthy of blame. We get honest with God that life The creation as we see it is not the way it's supposed to be. We lament that God's kingdom has not fully come on earth as it is in heaven. Our cry goes up, How long, O Lord? My tears have been my food day and night. Why, Lord, must evil seem to get its way? Why, Lord, must there be unjust sentences in imprisonment? Why, Lord, must there be those who extinguish life? Why, Lord, must a wildfire burn her home? Why, Lord, must vows be broken and lives cut apart? Why, Lord, must death come so suddenly? Why, Lord, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly? We groan and we sigh because through the Spirit already at work within us, we realize that the full renewal of God has not yet come to all. And we experience that tension between God's glorious promise and our present reality. So when we pray from the heart, we groan. We stand with a suffering world. And we take its wounds and its scars and its troubles. And we pray them to God. And we wait, eager but patient, for the day when God's promise will be complete. I mean, Paul uses this this really remarkable image. The whole creation is in labor pains, longing for God's new world to be born. In labor pains. And we share that pain and hope by offering our prayers, our groans, precisely in the place where the world is in pain. We're not alone in our prayers. The Spirit is present in us. The Spirit takes us up a a place in us uh, and moves us beyond our weakness. Paul says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. The Spirit is the most obviously at work in us when we're, we're struggling to pray. When we don't have an idea what to pray for, the Spirit intercedes. I mean, Paul introduces us to this really novel description of God. Look at verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Paul describes God as the searcher of hearts. Uh, The idea behind that word searcher is someone who who lights a torch to go through a dark space that's full of all sorts of things, searching for something in particular. God searches out the dark spaces in the depths of our hearts, and God knows, we know, that God will discover all kinds of things in our hearts. Much of what God finds, we just as soon keep hidden. But there's one thing, one thing that God wants to find above anything else. And Paul suggests that in Christians, God finds it. God discovers in our hearts the sound of the Spirit's groaning. I mean, we just noted the tension between God's promised future and our present reality and how we join the whole creation in groaning The church is not separated from the pain of the world. But look what Paul says. Neither is God. One commentator makes this point. God himself does not stand apart from the pain both of the world and of the church, but comes to dwell in the middle of it in the person and power of the Spirit. The Spirit, too, grows. The Spirit moves beyond our prayers by diving into a depth that is beyond our understanding. The Spirit intercedes in wordless groans. And the good news is, God the Father Almighty, Creator of all things visible and invisible, is in communion with the Spirit. The searcher knows the mind of the Spirit. We may not know what the Spirit is groaning, but God hears and answers. I mean, what a relief. We groan to God out of the unquiet spirits we have, offering up the pains and puzzles of our broken world. We pray to God what's heavy on our hearts, and often we don't know what to pray. We feel weak. And yet, precisely when we take up this task of groaning in prayer, Paul says we are being caught up into that loving, groaning, redeeming dialogue that's happening between the Father and the Spirit. And we're right in the middle of all of it. We take up the burdens of our world. We're like this advanced guard of the new creation. We share in its suffering, just as Jesus shared in ours. And all the while, we know the Spirit is right alongside of us. And the Father is overhearing all of it. An older hymn by James Montgomery captures this sense of prayer that's found in Romans 8. He he writes these, these words. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, 
the upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. Prayer's not made by us alone. The Holy Spirit pleads, and Jesus on the eternal throne for sinners intercedes. When we're confronted by the pain of the world, we often don't know what to pray. A cancer is diagnosed. A child is abused. A black man is unjustly killed. A hurricane ravages a whole community. War or terror create thousands of homeless refugees. Poverty creates lives of desperation. But when we enter God's presence, voiceless in pain, in the quiet, we just might hear the Spirit's groaning. And we recognize that in this way, we are conforming to the image of God's Son. We are sharing in the suffering of the one who lamented, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as the Spirit was present with him, the Spirit is present with us. Prayer from the heart groans. We know God's promise. And we see this world. The world is still groaning. And we groan right alongside it. Uh, to be Christian doesn't mean we, we flee from the world. It means we take up the pains of the world, hoping for the world when there seems to be no hope. We intercede right in that place where earth so desperately needs justice and the righteousness of heaven. And part of living in hope is to pray. Even with groans and laments, unuttered, and expressed. For God is with us in this groaning. The sorrow will not fill our souls. Our lives are in His hands. Our hope is in the Lord. Despite the many varied and troubling circumstances we confront in our world, we can trust that the searcher of our hearts will hear the Spirit who intercedes. And in all things, we know God works for the good of those who love Him. Let's pray. Lord God, as your creation longs for that day, we give voice to creation's longing by also groaning for that day. 
we take up the pain of this world in the spirit of Jesus Christ who died for us and calls us to die to ourselves. We take up the pain of this world. Knowing that we offer it to you in the hope of new life in Christ. And so every word we speak, every groan we utter, every lament we offer, we do so in the name of Jesus, who is our hope. Oh God, how we long for that day. How we long to be with you to be present with you. May that day be real to us in our lives here and now and as we live forward. In your strength, in your mercy, and in your grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.